When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Week one is officially in the books as the Jets complete their game against the Carolina Panthers and Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson, and the gang over there. They fall short 14-19 to in somewhat deflating fashion, especially in the first half. A lot of Jets fans were coming out super amped up. I specifically thought that this was a winnable game. You're looking at it, you say, that defense isn't too tough. Sam Darnold, we know what he is. Their offensive line isn't that stout. And from everything we've seen from our offense so far through the preseason, I mean, there was no reason to think that Zach Wilson wasn't going to come out firing. And absolutely rocking. When the game ended, he was definitely trending up and playing much, much better. But for that first half, it was abysmal. And we got a lot to get to in this one. We are going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk offense, defense, special teams. We're going to do our usual format with our three stars of the game, our doghouse player of the game. We're going to do father time, what's on tap. And then we're going to look at the AFC East. And we're going to preview next week's matchup against the New England Patriots, the Jets' home opener. So that's going to be very exciting. Time to get back up on a high again. Excited about another week. But, uh, yeah, all that stuff to get to. Before we do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found under the Gang Green Nation podcast title, series title. This is The Jet Life. I did do the Elijah Moore giveaway, have that open, and I have not pulled a winner yet, but I got a bunch of submissions, so that will be announced the next coming days. I appreciate everybody for leaving the positive reviews and everything. You know, I was really hoping that Elijah Moore was going to have an awesome coming out party where he was going to ball out in his first game in the NFL, but he ends this one. With negative three yards, a few drops, not so great. But plenty of good football ahead for Elijah Moore. And I will be doing the announcement of the winner in the next couple days, maybe Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week or something. Look out for it on Twitter and possibly email. I did get some email submissions as well. So if you were uh, one of those people, you'll look for it there. But we got to talk about this football team. And where to begin? Where to begin with this 14-19 to loss? Starting with the injuries, that was one of the big issues. I mean, we've had a lot of... Injuries so far, some bad ones through training camp and preseason. Losing Carl Lawson was horrible. Jared Davis, that one was really tough. In this game, Crowder's on the COVID list, so he couldn't play, and he's a reliable security blanket for quarterbacks. Keelan Cole, potentially our number three wide receiver on this team, he wasn't able to play either, so we were down a bunch of people already. Then when the game starts, Makai Becton goes down. Apparently, he had a dislocated kneecap. He's going to be out like four to six weeks, so probably sometime around the bye, maybe after the bye, he'll be coming back, but... As somebody like Connor Hughes mentioned on Twitter, I saw, was that like the guy's 340 pounds, whatever he is, he's an absolute monster of a guy. And when you don't play for six weeks and you're just sitting, rehabbing, you're not just necessarily going to come back in great shape. It's very hard to stay in football shape without moving. When you're that big, it may take a little bit longer. So just because his recovery takes six weeks, it may be a little bit longer until he's back in football shape and ready to play again. So we'll see what happens there. LaMarcus Joyner. Torn biceps, he's out for the entire season. That one's a huge bummer because he is a pretty good player. He was moving back to his regular spot of safety this year with the Jets. I think he was going to be a very useful piece. And with Ashton Davis out for the next three weeks or so, we don't really have much in the safety room. We've got Marcus May, but other than that, Sheldrick Redwine, we saw him struggle. We've got guys like, you know, Sherrod Neesman, who was injured, didn't even play this week. Maybe they bring back a guy like JT Hassel or make another pickup somewhere. But the safety room is going to struggle. The defense already was weak enough, so that is not a great injury. We miss LaMarcus Jordan already. Torn biceps out for the year. Okay, Braden Mann, he's potentially out for four to six weeks as well. So we had Matt Amendola come in to punt in relief for him. He'd never punted before. He did an absolutely awesome job. We'll talk about that later. But Robert Sala was asked if they think they're going to roll with Amendola for the rest of the time until Braden Mann is back or if they're going to sign somebody else. Sala basically said they're going to start working out some people and see what they can do. So I'm sure Matt Amendola will get a little bit extra attention and look at that position during the practices throughout the week. But if they can find a serviceable punter who's available right now, they're not expensive. 
they can bring a guy in to do a better job and then keep Amendola, you know, ready for kicking so he can focus on what he really is there to do. Then you had some injuries to Jamie and Sherwood. He's day-to-day, maybe a couple weeks potentially. Blake Cashman, same thing, a couple weeks potentially. I mean, is there any surprise here that Blake Cashman is out again? I mean, this guy cannot stay on the field. I don't know what's up. His NFL career is not going to last very long. It's surprising that it's lasted this long, but he gets injured instantly every time. So Blake Cashman out. Linebacker's obviously getting a little bit thin because you've already lost Gerard Davis. Now Jamie and Sherwood's banged up. Blake Cashman's banged up. So you have to make a pickup there. So injuries starting to build up already on this team. And for being a team that's already so young and trying so many young people, you only have so many more people you can move up, and then you're just going back to the scrap heap to get more players. You know, we do have some good depth at some positions, like some offensive line has good depth. The wide receiver room has good depth. The defensive line had good depth. But it's thinning out over time, and we can't take too many more of these. We are not that talented of a team overall. We are a progressing team. We are growing, rebuilding. And the more injuries you sustain throughout the course of the year, the harder it is to evaluate people, and the harder it is to play good football. So now it's time to recap the game, and I think you can look at this one from a few different angles. You can look at it from a negative viewpoint. You know, the team lost 14-19. to They're 0-1 now to the Panthers, who should be a beatable team. On the other side, you could look at it as like, hey, this is a really young team, and they've got a lot of growth, and they actually started getting better throughout the game, and by the end of the game, they already looked like a better team, and they're trending up. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. We're going to start with the negative because that's the one that we all felt first, most likely, as you're watching this game. Because the offense, especially in the first half, they couldn't get anything done. It was nothing like what we saw in the preseason. In the preseason, Zach Wilson had time in the pocket. He was standing back there making great throws downfield, super confident, super comfortable. In this game, the offensive line can't block for shit. They're getting after him every single time. The tight ends can't block. The running backs are missing assignments. He's getting pressured time and time again. I think he was pressured in this game 52% of his snaps he took, which is insane. It was like the highest in the entire league. Top or second highest in the league for pressures. And then they couldn't run block either. So you're running the ball for like one to two yards a carry, which is like Le'Veon Bell up the middle last year with Adam Gase or Frank Gore up the middle last year. We're starting, you know, second and nine, third and nine. We can't get anything going. This whole thing is supposed to be a ground and pound and then some play actions, let Zach Wilson be comfortable. That never happened. So everything's discombobulated in the beginning of the game. The receivers are dropping balls. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Especially because you're playing the Panthers too. You know, you're not playing against something like the Ravens or the Steelers. This is the Panthers, and they should be a team that we can do some stuff against. Didn't happen. It was all punts and interception and a turnover on downs in the first half. In the second half, it started with two punts. But then they scored a touchdown, a punt, and a touchdown. Defensively, the team, I mean, we knew, I was saying going into this game, the Jets were going to have very a very tough time on defense. The biggest thing for me was I didn't know that they could cover. I didn't know if they could tackle. I didn't know if they could rush the passer. In this game, we saw that they really, at this point, can't rush the passer. They don't have a good offensive line in Carolina. We thought that we'd be able to exploit that. But instead, Sam Darnold was relatively comfortable. But he didn't need to be that comfortable in this game because what he did was when he went back, every single time he got under pressure, he basically dumped the ball back to Christian McCaffrey time and time again. This guy had 30 touches in the game for 190 yards, averaged 6.5 yards per touch, and was a bailout time and time again. Christian McCaffrey absolutely destroyed us. And we knew that coming in. We knew that he was the big one. He was the big weapon. When Sam Darnold gets in trouble, he'll dump it off to him. And then you got guys like, you know, DJ Moore, who's an athletic player, made a couple nice plays downfield, but not many. And then Robbie Anderson gets through past Sheldrick Redwine for one play deep, does his thing. Sam Darnold finds him as he does. So it was a game for Sam Darnold to get back there. Oh, get pressured, dump it to Christian McCaffrey, let him pick up the yardage. Oh, you're getting pressured, dump it to him. And that one time, the receiver sneaks back like a Robbie Anderson, boom, hit him for the touchdown. Sam was much too comfortable, and while I think the tackling from the team overall was better than I expected, the zone was a little bit softer than we'd hoped, and while the coverage was all right from some of the young guys, nobody got absolutely torched by a receiver, we did just allow, just, you know, picking up yards, picking up yards, just like, this bend don't break, but at a certain point, it's like, we have to stop him somewhere. And we did play all right defense at first. I mean, we got bailed out on a fumble on a fourth down opportunity by them. But we did hold them to zero points after their first three drives. It took until their fourth drive. They got a field goal to go up 3-0. Then they scored again, touchdown, one more touchdown before they have to go up 16-0. to And that basically brings us to the second half. And that brings us to the positive side of this game that we're going to talk about. Because the second half of this game was much more positive. And the Jets did have some stuff you can look at and say, all right, we can see it working. 
Now, keep in mind, when you want to think positively about this whole thing, the Jets are the youngest team in the entire NFL. They've got about 13 players with no NFL experience on the roster right now. All across the board, they have no continuity with their coaching scheme, with their players. You know, the offensive line has never played a game together. These wide receivers, Elijah Moore has never played. You've got a new quarterback throwing the ball. You've got a whole new tight end group with Tyler Croft being the number one. Ryan Griffin is mixed back in there, and all new play calls for it. Defensively, you've got a 4-3 defense for the first time. C.J. Mosley's back in there. You've got a new defensive line. Whole new scheme there. Young quarterback, cornerbacks across the board. You're switching people out at safety. These guys are going down. I mean, there should be a learning curve. We knew there would be a learning curve. When you look at this team going into the season, you say to yourself, it's supposed to progress. It's supposed to start a little bit sloppy. If there's any team that's going to start a little sloppy in their pass protection, their run blocking, their coverage, their assignments, communications, and things like that, you would expect it to be a team that has the youngest roster in the league with a brand-new coaching staff on offense and defense. And so that's what we saw. But what you do hope happens with this team is that you start to see who's good at what, you start to make some changes, and you start to adapt and then progress this team forward as you evaluate them. And I think we saw that just by mid-game. The Jets made halftime adjustments for the first time in what feels like 10 years almost. Todd Bowles never made them. Adam Gase never made them. But Robert Sala did. And so did Michael Floor and Jeff Albrecht. We were able to get more pressure on Sam Darnold in the second half, make him a little bit less comfortable. And we were able to give Zach Wilson a little bit more time in the pocket in the second half and make him and the entire offense a little bit more comfortable. Now, I'm still concerned that we couldn't run the ball. And I do understand the fact that the Panthers at this point in the game are up 16-0 to and they need to play it safe, not give up too many points to the Jets. But when you see a team that was absolutely stifled in the first half come out, have some troubles early, but then have a nice eight-play, 70-yard drive to score for the first time in the game, and then later with four minutes and 27 seconds left in the entire game to go down the field on a 10-play, 93-yard drive to make it 14-19, to and at that point you're scoring with like two minutes left, you still have some timeouts, and there's a chance that you stop Christian McCaffrey and the Panthers' offense, you get the ball back, and you could actually win this game. So just from that, a team that couldn't do anything, couldn't do absolutely anything on the offensive side of the ball the entire first half, they come out and they make it a game in the second half. So you're already seeing some improvement, some development, some progression from these guys, and you got to feel at least okay. The player that you saw in Zach Wilson, the player from preseason wasn't there in the first half, but the player from the first half wasn't there in the second half. And when the game ended, he had a pretty good stat line. We have some really nice throws that we can look at and dissect. We saw the offensive line give them a little bit more time as it went on. Saw some receivers make some plays. We're starting to see this thing kind of come together. So I definitely think there's some positives in the game. Now, before I get into the specifics, the offense, the defense, the special teams, some of the team stats and all that, we are going to do a quick father time to let my dad give his opinion on the game and what he saw, Jets versus Carolina, in week one. So this is this week's father time written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Are you disappointed about week one? I am. I always want to win. And I'm not. Here are a few observations from the game. The Michael Floor playbook is not wide open. The plays seemed rudimentary. It showed very little resemblance to the Niners, Packers, or Rams offense to which it's usually compared. The motions and misdirections were not as evident as I'd expected. Granted, the weakest part of the Panthers' defense is the middle of the D-line, so slamming the A-gap was a tactic, but I still didn't see the zone blocking that I expected. Zach is a quick learn, and he has learned a ton in week one already. He went untouched in the preseason, but was roughed up on Sunday. Through it all, he never lost his game face, and I truly believe that he is looking forward to game two at MetLife. Remember, the receivers had five drops, and Elijah Moore had one catch on four good attempts, including a 40-yard miss that could have changed the first half. Two things. Nerves got the better of him, but that won't happen again. If Moore had caught that pass, Wilson would have probably gone for 300 yards. And note that Keelan Cole will be back next week. And last... Regarding the almost forgotten Denzel Mims, one catch on one target for 40 yards. Go Denzel and keep it going. Here's the thing. The important biggest surprise for me. Our cornerbacks were considered the weakest part of our defense, but not in week one. Let's go through them. Bryce Hall, two targets, one reception allowed for nine yards. Brandon Eccles, five targets, three receptions allowed for 26 yards. Michael Carter II, five targets, three receptions allowed for 17 yards. Javelin Guidry, Three targets, two receptions for 25 yards. In total, Donald was 9 for 15, 60%, for 77 yards with a 5.1 yard per attempt against our cornerbacks. When corners are quiet, it usually means they're playing well. Next week, Mac Jones and the Patriots are doing the old quick dump off, which eliminates the pass rush. 
So consider a helping of a three-man rush, dropping eight-man to make the rookie throw into a sea of green jerseys. So let the defensive backfield be a swarm on third down. All said, my game ball goes to Matt Amendola. Kicker turned punter extraordinaire. In replacing injured Braden Mann, Amendola averaged 48.5 yards per punt on six punts, and two were inside the 20. Things will get better. Keep the faith. Go Jets. End scene. Well, so that is my dad's father time, and there's a lot to unpack in this one, too. We're going to start with his comments on Michael Floor, the playbook not being wide open. I think that's something that surprised me as well. I thought that he was going to be coming in here and bringing all of that San Francisco stuff, the motions, the misdirections that me and my dad always talk about on this podcast. We didn't see a ton of it. We didn't see a lot of the Debo Samuel plays that Brandon Ayuk plays, some of those trickeries. We didn't see the tight end involved the way George Kittle would. It didn't look a lot like those offenses. I mean, it used the fullback. Trevon Wesco was on the field a bit, but didn't play very well. And it didn't have that. It felt like it was vanilla. It didn't feel much more impressive than what we had at offense last year, really. I mean, it was less Frank Gore directly up the middle, but not much, much better. And I think I was expecting a bigger jump. But when you think about installing an entire offense, all the young players, the people that were out injured, new skill position players coming up, Zach Wilson's first game playing away in Carolina, there's a lot of factors that are like, you know what, maybe the first week you just let them be comfortable. you got to keep in mind that Justin Fields isn't even playing yet. Trey Lance isn't playing yet. Why? Because they need time to develop. So Zach Wilson, perhaps they're giving him time to develop within the playbook and within the system before actually throwing it all out there. He was proud of Zach Wilson being a quick learn. And he's right, he was untouched in the preseason, got roughed up, sacked like six times in this game, hit a bunch. I mean, this was his welcome to the NFL, and he did stay composed and look tough out there. Now, he talked about the cornerbacks in this one. He gives a lot of credit to them, giving up, you know, 9 yards, 26 yards, 17 yards, 25 yards. And that is all well and good, and I was expecting the cornerbacks to play probably worse than that, maybe picked apart a little bit more, albeit Sam Darnold's not the biggest gauge for all that success and what your cornerbacks can do. But I think the biggest thing in this game and why I'm not as excited and impressed with that as he is, is that the way they dumped the ball off to Christian McCaffrey and ran him 30 touches for 190 yards, they really didn't need to use the wide receivers or any of the players the cornerbacks were covering. I don't think this was a very good test because when it came down to it, Sam Darnold never was trailing in this game. He never had to stand back in the pocket and really deliver on third and longs to try to win a game. We didn't really see that coverage in one-on-ones. So it really wasn't a good gauge of quarterback throwing to wide receivers covered by cornerbacks. It was more of just a quarterback dumping it off to the running back until every once in a while somebody got open. So for me, I am impressed that they didn't have a bad game because, as he said, quiet cornerbacks is a good thing in a quiet game, you know, not too impactful. We didn't see bad plays. We didn't see a lot of penalties on them. We didn't see blown coverages. But I wouldn't say that I saw anything really good except for a couple nice plays. Javelin Gidry made a couple nice tackles. Eccles made a nice tackle. Michael Carter, too, made a great, you know, recovery play, hit the ball out of the receiver's hands. I think it was Terrace Marshall to keep a drive from going. And that stuff was good. But overall, I definitely have to see more. And, uh, you know, the jury is still out to me on this group. Now, Matt Amendola, he's right. Deserves the game ball. We're going to get to him later as well. But overall, that was a great father time. I appreciate the submission, Dad. That's what we got for father time. And now before we move over to the specific parts of the team and game, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alrighty, everybody, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball first, but before we do, we're going to talk about the team stats because every year we go over the team stats, just the box score, kind of what's going on here. I think the few things that stand out to us is, yes, the Jets had less yards, but the big thing is the rushing yards. Jets ran for 45 yards in this entire game on 17 attempts, which is 2.6 yards per rush. That is not good enough from a team that's supposed to be ground and pound. You're supposed to be running mountainside. You're supposed to be running to the left in preseason. We saw them running to the left in last season, 2020, with Makai Beckham. We saw them running to the left. And in this game, they consistently ran to the right, and I have no idea why, but they had no success running the ball. And on top of that, they were sacked six times for a loss of 51 yards. Some of the things that I do like from the team, the penalties weren't horrible. They only had 30 total yards of penalties accepted, and they only had one turnover. 
one nice interception by Shaq Thompson, who pulled it down, tipped it with one hand, grabbed it in. Zach Wilson should have read that linebacker lurking in the middle there, but he didn't, and the guy made a nice play. He'll learn from that. He didn't make a mistake exactly like that again. He did throw actually one more interceptable ball to Shaq Thompson on the sideline, but not one in the middle like that, and you hope he's learned from it. Uh, overall, the Jets were one of one inside the red zone, which is nice to see, and they did end up scoring two touchdowns in this game. So definitely some good stuff in there, but you want to see a little bit more efficiency specifically in the run game, especially on this team in this offense with a young quarterback because you're supposed to be building that offensive line. You brought all these running backs in. You know, you draft Michael Carter. You bring in a Tevin Coleman. And for Zach Wilson, just in his development and being more comfortable, if you're throwing on third and three, as we know, it's so much easier to pick up short yardage than big yardage. And when teams are afraid of the run and they're starting to stack the box more, you get more open guys downfield, you get more play action, you get a lot more at your disposal to play well, but when you're not running the ball well, teams are able to just cover, come after you, make you uncomfortable, and they sort of dictate the game more than you. The Jets did not dictate anything with their ground-and-pound offense. So that's what we have for the team stats here. We're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball. And starting with the coaching, I think my dad's right. Very vanilla offense, very rudimentary. I think we're going to see a little bit more from Michael Flores. Time goes on. Obviously, he's going to throw some more wrinkles in there, some more misdirection, some more motions and things like that. But I think he's got to get the team a little bit more gelled, a little bit more cohesion from the offensive line and from the skill position players. Got to get back Crowder, Cole, some of the guys that are supposed to be in there more often we got to see some people start to get into their groove running the ball and whatnot before all that stuff's going to kind of come together. When that's not working, when you can't run the ball, this whole offense isn't going to run appropriately. When you go over to the quarterback in this game, Zach Wilson, I think overall, you know, you're really displeased with the way he started the game. Tons of incomplete passes, looked a little bit nervous, looked like he was potentially seeing ghosts at time, getting sacked, holding onto the ball too long. It looked like early on Zach Wilson was waiting for receivers to be wide open. Like he wanted to see guys like he would see in college just standing in the middle of the field waiting for the ball rather than throwing them open. Now, at times, that will happen, and if you can extend plays with your legs and you have a cannon of an arm, if a guy is open like that and you throw it, it could work. We see Patrick Mahomes do it all the time. We've seen Zach Wilson do it in preseason and even to Corey Davis a couple times in this game. But it's those other plays in between. We need a little bit more fast, you need a little bit more rhythmic throws where you've got a guy that's covered perhaps and you throw him open on a quick you know, one, two, three-step drop. Get it to a guy in a slant, a curl route. He threw to the flats pretty well to the tight ends, I thought, on a few nice plays. To the running backs over there a couple times as well. I thought that was nice throwing it outside the numbers. But in terms of going inside the field, he struggled a little bit more there. It was more outside short stuff and then deep guys downfield. What I did like from him was he wasn't afraid to take shots early. He took a couple really big ones. He threw one to, I think, Ty Johnson on the sideline. He threw one to Elijah Moore down the field, one to Corey Davis down the field. And for the most part, these were catchable balls. The one to Elijah Moore absolutely was. But on all three of those plays that were in the first half that he was chucking the ball, you know, a lot, the ball was not able to be intercepted by the defensive player, you know, so he threw it where only his receiver could get it. But also there was really, really good coverage on all three of those plays from the defender. One-on-one coverage, but very tight. And eventually, as the year goes on, there will be missed assignments. There will be guys that are left wide open. There will be more separation from a Jets receiver where they had those three plays. And those those plays are going to work. Eventually, he's going to hit those receivers because he sees them downfield, and you could tell that the ball was right there. Hit everybody on the hands. Every single one of those throws that was deep hit the guy in the hands. It just wasn't brought in. So as time goes on, they get a little bit more comfortable. They get a little bit more used to him throwing these balls. It is going to work, and you can see it there. So I was very excited about all that. And then second half, the way he was able to find Corey Davis on a couple touchdown passes, trend up, move around the pocket pretty well. Obviously, he held on to the ball a little bit too much, getting sacked six times, and we didn't see him run much scrambling. But we did see him a little bit elusive, escaping some pressure here and there. Um, He's a little bit faster, a little bit more athletic than a lot of people give him credit for. So overall, he finished with 258 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He fumbled the ball at one point, jumped back on top of it, so didn't lose that. 20 for 37. His quarterback rating is like an 84 in this one. It wasn't an incredible game, but it started off as a horrible game, and it ended up as an okay game and building blocks and trending up. So he's got a tough assignment next week against the Patriots, but good things coming from Zach Wilson. I am definitely high on him, impressed with the way that he rebounded in this game and actually gave the Jets a chance to potentially win this thing. So, you know, kudos to Zach Wilson in his first start. Moving over to the running game, this is a a very, very bad part of the offense in this game. 17 rushes for 45 yards, 2.6 yards per attempt. Our longest run was 12 yards from Ty Johnson. Other than that, Ty Johnson had three rushes for a total of three yards when you take that one out. 
So he finished with 3.8 yards per average, but one came on a 12-yard run. The other three netted three yards. Tevin Coleman, he was the bell cow in this one. That was expected that he was going to get the lion's share of the carries, at least in week one, but he had nine carries for 24 yards. And then Michael Carter, four carries for six yards. He had a nice third down pickup where you thought he was going to go down, but he scooted forward. Maybe it was a fourth down. I don't remember at the moment, but it was a, you know, and one play that he had to get. And it looked like he was stopped, but he kind of crawled over. So that was a nice play. And Michael Carter also added in a nice catch for 14 yards. And Ty Johnson had a catch for 11 yards. And those were all right plays. But you want to see more from the running backs. And I think a lot of it's on the offensive line in this one. What I still don't understand is why when Mekhi Beckton was playing perfectly healthy, they were consistently running to the right side. If you watch this game again and you take note of how many times they ran to the right or at least the right side of the center, it was astounding. It was like 80% of the time. And we should be a mountainside team. I went into this game saying, like, prepare to see a lot of runs to the left. The Jets are a left-handed team. They run to the left side, and you go behind Mekhi Becton. And I'm not sure why they weren't doing that. I don't know if it was because Elijah Bear Tucker was playing his first game, coming back from injury. Mekhi Becton, he's coming back from injury. They didn't have a lot of training camp time to play together. Not a lot of uh, cohesion there yet. But we saw them running successfully there with Dan Feeney there. And I've got to think that Elijah Vera Tucker is already as good as Dan Feeney. I mean, he played all right in this game. Not great. But I would have liked to see a little bit more road grading to that side where you've got your great mauler in Mekhi Becton rather than a kind of athletic, more finesse-style George Fant. Not a great road grader in you know, Greg Van Roten. It's not really the side I want to be seeing the runs to. So I'm not sure why that was the game plan, whether the Panthers were just loading up, making sure that the Jets always went to the right, or whether the game plan was like, let's attack Derek Brown and some of the interior guys of the Carolina Panthers, or whether they just didn't have the confidence in Mekhi Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker. But with Mekhi Becton out for an extended period of time, it'll be a little while before we actually have that mountainside again because he is the anchor of that whole side. You're going to put George Fant over there moving forward to left tackle. Morgan Moses will be playing right tackle. So at this point, it's almost a wash on which side is more successful to run to until we see more from Elijah Vera Tucker. I guess it doesn't really make much of a difference, but in this game specifically, it would have been nice to try at least a few more times to the left just to see if it could be a little more successful than what we had to the right in 2.6 yards per carry. We do need to get that running game going better. The offensive line, I mean, we saw them out there. I think that the second half, they were a little bit better, and I think that when Mekhi Becton left the game, George Fant went to the left side. I think George Fant played better. But on the right side, George Fant was struggling mightily. And if you watch some of these highlights, I mean, oh, my gosh. And you watch some of the plays back. Burns was crushing him. Everybody going around the outside was basically having a field day with George Fant. And, yes, on a few of these, Zach Wilson was holding onto the ball for too long. But George Fant was a turnstile at points in this game. And he is my doghouse player of the game because I was absolutely not impressed with a guy like that. And he's the guy. You bring in Morgan Moses to compete with him on the right side, and George Fant wins because he's better. And then he comes out and he plays like that on an offensive line that's supposed to be built up to help protect Zach Wilson, let him flourish. And he's the guy that wins the job. And that's how he comes out and plays against a defensive line that I thought the Jets would be able to stifle for the most, for the most part. I mean, George Fant, it has to be better. And he did look better on the left side. Perhaps he's better naturally at left tackle than he is at right. And that's possible. He played there plenty with the Seahawks when he was switching back and forth. And this is a better, you know, bench player than we'd have in Connor McDermott or Achuma Adoga, most likely. But he's got to play better because this offensive line is too important. The running game and Zach Wilson's health and ability to stand in the pocket is what this whole offense is going to run off of. So George Fant, doghouse player of the game week one, be better. I think Morgan Moses is, I mean, when he came in at right tackle, I instantly thought that he was playing better. And it was like, well, I kind of wish that he started the game there. But whatever, it all worked itself out, I guess, anyway. Um Elijah Bear Tucker, you know, Connor McDermott, Van Roten, they didn't they didn't grate through the Carolina, Carolina Panthers' uh, interior defensive line, so we weren't able to get those runs. Not a great performance from really any of them. We need to see more from the offensive line, but I think when you look at it, the blocking was honestly just as bad from the tight end group, who were horrible. They gave up like four pressures. Trevon West goes in there as a fullback. He's going lazy on these blocks. He was slowing up on guys. Like, when we're running to the right side, you got to get to an edge, and he's got to block a guy. He, like, slows up, and the whole play blows up in the backfield because he didn't keep going. And it's like things like that. Just be aggressive, engage. If you're playing fullback like that, you have to have no fear. Get up there. Tight ends. Like, come on, Tyler Croft, you're supposed to be a good blocking tight end. Ryan Griffin, we know you're not a good blocking tight end, but be better. So overall, the blocking from everybody, the running backs as well, they give up some pressures. It's got to improve. Tight ends receiving. We talked about the flats. 
We had three catches for Tyler Croft, three for Ryan Griffin. They totaled 26 and 22 yards respectively, so it's not anything huge there, but there were some nice little dump-off plays, and Zach Wilson's taking the yardage that's given to him, and that's extremely important because you weren't getting in the running game, so pick it up where you can. Other than that, I'm not impressed with the tight end group. Tight end group is very, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. We'd like to see a little bit more from them, but you know maybe it's just going to be a, a security blanket, dump it off. We'll be able to throw to the receivers a little bit more as the year goes on. We saw Corey Davis absolutely shine in this game. Five receptions for 97 yards, 19.4 yards per catch, two touchdowns. I mean, this is our star of the game. Our offensive player of the game, no question, is Corey Davis because he was awesome. And when the Jets' offense hadn't had anything going in the first half, he was the first player to not only catch the ball, but break through some tackles, get some yards after the catch, and just make you like, yeah, all right, here's that spark. This is what we needed. Then later in the game, on a play where Zach Wilson's rolling out, Find some time. Corey Davis gets open in the end zone, way far from Jeremy Chin. Gets a nice ball on the ground, catches that for a touchdown. Later in the game, he goes up in a flat, makes a quick little route, a nice throw from Zach Wilson, tight in there, very, very good coverage, but it was tight, and Corey Davis made the catch, secured that ball, two touchdowns. I mean, I love to do this game with my dad. Uh, week one, I like to find the good stats from the Jets and then multiply it by how many games are left and just say, hey, Dad, did you know this guy's on pace for this? Well, did you know Corey Davis right now is on pace for 1,650 yards and 34 touchdowns? Oh, yeah, 34 receiving touchdowns he's on pace for. Obviously, he'll never hit that number. But what a really good start from a number one receiver that you were hoping would be the number one receiver. He proved it. It was only five catches, but big chunk plays. Zach Wilson has that same chemistry we saw in preseason with him, especially when the offense got rolling a little bit more. Now, the other guy that was going to be the number one receiver in this game with Cole and Crowder out was Elijah Moore. And Elijah Moore, I mean, he was close to being the doghouse player of the week. If there wasn't a signed helmet going out next week, maybe he would have been because he was targeted four times in this game. He had at least two drops, one on like a five-yard pass that he could have picked up just to make third down more manageable, one on a 40-yard bomb that if he caught could have changed the entire game, maybe we would have won. And he did get one little, I guess it was a catch. It was like a handoff designed thing to go outside. He lost three yards on that. So his one real play in this game lost three yards. And then he had drops, one that could have changed the entire game. Now, rookie jitters, sure. But everything that we saw in preseason, all of that hype, all he was not playing like this at all for any practice in the entire offseason. No preseason game, well, he was injured, but no training camps did he look like this. Then he comes out, and it's like, all right, well, you know what? You got him out this week. Time for him to step it up, get the confidence, and start to be the player that we saw and were expecting to see, you know, moving forward. Because he was the other guy that was – Beside Corey Davis on most of the plays, he had the big snap count share. You want to see more. Braxton Berrios, he actually had the next most receptions on the team. He had five of them for 51 yards. He actually had a couple nice plays. He's a good serviceable slot receiver. I mean, he's not great. He's not as good as Jameson Crowder. He's not as good as you'd think that maybe a guy like Elijah Moore would be in that spot. But he is serviceable, and he gets open, and he catches the ball when it's thrown to him, and he's a little scrappy when he gets in his hands. So seven targets for him actually led the team with Corey Davis. Five receptions led the team with Corey Davis, and then 51 yards, including a 25-yarder. Nice couple throws from Zach Wilson that were just tight in there to Braxton Berrios. So he was used frequently. Somebody in the receiving game that was not used frequently, Denzel Mims, was given only three snaps in this game. But later down the stretch, he did complete one catch on his only target for 40 yards. So he actually had the third most receiving yards in the entire team. It was a nice play. You saw my dad give him a little bit a little bit of credit, a little bit of love for that. But I'd like to see a little bit more of him. I know he's got to probably learn the playbook. He's probably got to get better at route running, got to gain some confidence, maybe have a little bit more repertoire with Zach Wilson in the practices leading up to the games. But this guy has real ability. He's got some speed. He's definitely got the size. He's got the great catch radius. He can make the spectacular catches. And he's got some toughness yards after the catch when he gets the ball in his hands. So I'd really like to see him used a little bit more. But you know it's just going to be harder when you bring back Jameson Crowder and you bring back Keelan Cole, who you'd imagine both of those guys are ahead of him on the depth chart. And he only had three snaps in this game to begin with, so where does that leave him when those guys are back? I don't know. But we definitely have depth at wide receiver. The other guy, Jeff Smith, he played a few snaps. He had a target, didn't make any plays, covered. And uh, that's mostly what we saw from the receiving group there. They finished with 258 receiving yards on 20 receptions, and the two touchdowns went to Corey Davis. The longest play of the day was a 36-yarder, or actually the longest play of the day was the 40-yarder to Denzel Mims. So, pretty cool. But uh, player of the game, Corey Davis, doghouse player of the game, George Fant, that was our offense. We'd like to see more against the Patriots. It's going to be tough, but I think they could do it. Now, before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, 
we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. And today I am drinking one of Shannon's specials, a high noon vodka and soda. So a high noon is similar to your truly, your white claws, your bon and viv, whatever uh, everybody's making a seltzer these days. But this one is made with a little bit less malt liquor. It's made with real juice. It's got, uh, they say, real fruit juice, sparkling water, and natural flavors, and vodka. So it's not like weird alcohol or something. It's just vodka and seltzer basically put in a can, which seems so easy and so simple. So many of these companies, they put in like weird syrups or additives or preservatives or just creepy stuff that I don't want. This one totally tastes more natural, a little bit fresher, which is why I stole it from Shannon. Uh, it's a passion fruit flavored, so it's kind of got a bitterness to it, almost like a sour, which I like. Part of their tropical pack. This thing's only 100 calories. And, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best summer beers or or summer beverages that I have found in a long time. I used to be like a – in college, I was a diehard Twisted Tea fan. I, I think it's what made me fat. I drank so much Twisted Tea because I didn't like beer or anything yet. And I get to the point where it's like, that stuff is just too sugary for me. And I taste so many of these drinks now just taste like sugar. I can't drink a Mike's Hard Lemonade or a Smirnoff Ice or anything like that. But you put out this thing, some nice vodka, a little real fruit juice, nice flavor like passion fruit, and a couple a couple summer days, absolutely. Go fish and drink these things. Mm. Passion fruit might be the best flavor of all of them. So that is what it is today. A high noon made by... I don't even know who it's made by. It's made by High Noon, I guess. 2.6 grams of sugar in this thing. No high fructose corn syrup. No artificial flavors. It's made by High Noon Spirits Company. So, very cool. You see them everywhere. It's like the most popular thing right now. They are more expensive than other seltzers because I think, one, they can because it's higher quality. And uh, they just kind of marketed it that way to be a classy sort of seltzer. I think they consider themselves a notch better than the competition. And you know what? So do I. So we pay... Too much for too many of these. Mm. All right, that is what's on tap. Now before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, I have to take a quick commercial break. All righty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk about the defensive side of the ball in the Jets' loss to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets lose 14-19. to And I think in this game, you know, I made my prediction last week. I thought the Jets would score 30 points because I thought the offense was going to pick up where it left off in preseason. It did not, but I thought the Panthers would score 23 in this game, and they put up 19. I think that the offense was definitely, you know, they definitely beat us up because they were able to just give it to Christian McCaffrey whenever they wanted, and he'd pick up six yards. So it was very hard to stop, but when they threw outside, they didn't have a lot of success. Their tight ends didn't have a lot of success, and overall, we didn't give up any huge plays other than one to Robbie Anderson. Sam Darnold was a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, he threw 24 for 35 for 279 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, had 102 quarterback rating, was sacked one time. So if you saw that in the Jets game when he was playing with us last year or the year before, you would have been very impressed. That would be a very good game for Sam Darnold. But the weapons that he has now in Carolina are way better than what he had with the Jets. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. He was dumping the ball to Christian McCaffrey nine times on nine targets. He caught every one for 89 yards. I mean, when you have that, that's a very, very nice luxury. But overall, you know, we knew Robbie Anderson was a, a scary deep threat. He had one catch in this game for 57 yards. That's it on three targets. DJ Moore, he had a couple really nice plays. He pulled in a toe tapper that the refs reversed, and probably rightfully so. He finished with six catches, 80 yards. He did well, but there wasn't that much more going for the Carolina Panthers. It really was the Christian McCaffrey show. And, you know, on one hand, you're like, well, that's good because that means that we weren't beat up by tight ends. We weren't beat up by the wide receivers and everything. So you're feeling like, all right, that's all right. At least it was just one guy. On the other side of it, you're like, but we knew it was going to be Christian McCaffrey. It was clear coming into this game that he was the best player on their team, and getting the ball in his hands as much as possible would be the best formula, especially in a week where you're just trying to get the kinks out with a new quarterback, get everything figured out, just dump it to Christian McCaffrey and let him go to work. You'd like to think the Jets would have a little bit of a better defensive game plan to stop that so he wouldn't have 30 touches for 190 yards. When you think about the upcoming matchup against the Patriots and you're like, they play the exact same way of dink-dunk football? But it's not to one guy. It's not to the same guy every time. So if you thought that when you knew where the ball was going to Christian McCaffrey and those dump-offs and you couldn't stop that, wait until you don't know where it's going. I think that's going to be a scary matchup for the Jets. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, overall, not super impressed with the defense. We knew they didn't have a pass rush because they've lost Carl Lawson. They've lost Vinnie Curry, Ronald Blair's in the practice squad. I mean, they really, they're bringing in guys like Tim Ward. They traded for Shaq Lawson to come in here and try to make an impact. A lot of moving parts, trying to get this thing together and figure out what the rotation is. They really did run a true 
rotation in this game. Your leading snap count went to John Franklin Myers, 69% on 44 snaps, followed by Quinn and Williams, 61% on 39 snaps. After that, you had 53% of the snaps went to Bryce Huff. You had 53% for Foley Fadakasi, 53% for Shaq Lawson. Sheldon Rankins played 48% of the snaps. Even Nathan Shepard played 36% of the snaps. And Tim Ward was out there for 27% of the snaps. Every single guy got a taste. You know, on one hand, you're really happy to see the rotation because you think to yourself, well, we've got a lot of different guys that can play on there. On the other side, you're a little bit worried that we only had, you know, eight quarterback hits, and most of them weren't very close to coming to sacks. I mean, we only had one sack in this game from our defensive star of the game, John Franklin Myers. John Franklin Myers, also known as JFM, won multiple defensive player of the games in 2020. And in this game, he finishes with the only sack for the New York Jets. He finishes with two tackles for a loss, his quarterback hit, and three tackles. And he made a few nice plays in this game. He really did. Uh, he was the guy that stood out the most, made the big plays. He had one in the first half tackle for a loss. He had the sack later on. He made a couple tackles. And you see him out there. You expect a lot from John Franklin Myers. There's a reason that he led the team in snap share on the defensive line because he is an every-down type of guy that can play the run and can play the pass pretty well. Unfortunately, he's not super flashy. He's not a guy that you uh, you know consistently see getting after the quarterback, but he makes his plays, and he doesn't ever just disappear. So I'm very happy with the way John Franklin Myers played. The next guy who I thought was runner-up for defensive player of the game would be Foley Fadikasi. Well, he only played like 50% of the snaps. He had some really nice tackles in the run game. He gets back there. He makes big tackles. He had a, a quarterback hit in this one. He only had three technically tackles, but when he does it, you can tell. He breaks through, big body wraps up, takes these guys down, and there were like three occasions where I was like, wow, Foley, what a play. And he's the captain on the Jets' defense. One of the captains was C.J. Mosley, so, you know, credit to him for playing very well. He had a couple quarterback hits from Bryce Huff, which was nice to see. He had a couple of quarterback hits from Quinn and Williams, who had a very quiet game otherwise. I mean, he had a few quarterback hits that were, you know, not necessarily close to being sacked, but at least he was getting after the quarterback for two of the eight quarterback hits we had. I think he was quiet otherwise, but when you look at it, I mean, you would expect a team like the Panthers to see this Jets defensive line of John Franklin Myers and Sheldon Rankins and Quinnen Williams and, you know, Tim Ward or Shaq Lawson, whomever it may be, and really key on Quinnen Williams and say, all right, well, we're not going to let him beat us, so let's double-team Quinnen Williams because he is the only potential real game wrecker out there. Double him, give him a hard time. I think that's what we saw a lot in this game. So Quinnen didn't have his usual impact that you'd hope to see. But it's a work in progress. He'll get better. He wasn't there for training camp, so, you know, cut him some slack as he was a little quiet. He still had those two quarterback hits, so it's not like he's some absent player that wasn't there. And he did have 60% plus of the snap count, so he was healthy, and the team does rely on him. Everybody else on the defensive line, not, you know, just not super impressed with these guys. Shaq Lawson had a couple tackles, a couple nice plays, but it wasn't, uh, nobody really flashed. And when your defensive line is supposed to be kind of the, the main staple of the defense that gets after the quarterback and, and causes the disruption that makes the cornerbacks play better and everything runs through that. You want to see them get through a little bit more, make a little bit more havoc, especially against a quarterback like Sam Darnold, who gets a little bit nervous, especially against an offensive line like the Panthers where they have some really weak spots like Pat Elfline and Cam Irving. I mean, you'd really want to see some of that, and we didn't. When you go to the linebackers, I think that it's really nice to see C.J. Mosley looking healthy. He had some nice tackles in this game. He had some really nice coverage plays. He looks healthy. He's not like that... It's not like that Bills game where he just completely took over, but he's out there playing good linebacker. Other than that, I mean, who knows? Jamie and Sherwood got injured. He may be out a couple weeks. Blake Cashman got injured. He may be out a couple weeks. Hamson Nasraldine, he had some tackles, but he looks a little bit lost out there at times. Delshawn Phillips, a guy that was picked up from the practice squad recently who hasn't had much of an NFL career at all, just basically some practice squads and training camps in the past, this guy led the team in tackles with 12. Only three were solo, so it was a lot of gang tackling, a lot of assists, but... Delshawn Phillips did make some plays, and we'll see if he gets a larger role moving forward. I think that when you see this unit, though, you really hope to see Jared Davis coming back. You know, at that bye week, I think that it's going to be very important to get a guy like him out there because these guys are young, and while it's good to see some evaluation and let them learn, this is not our best unit, and there's a lot of raw, a lot of raw football out there at the linebacker position. I mean, Christian McCaffrey was basically killing the zones of those guys, and we were consistently making you know, not the right run, not the right read, not the right angle, and he was getting a couple extra yards here and there. So we'll see. It's a tough matchup again. So, you know, it's game one, and this team is super young, youngest team in the league. That can't be overstated. Talking about the cornerbacks, we already talked about them a bit. I was really impressed with Michael Carter, who made a really nice pass breakup. Javelin Gidry played well. Uh, Brandon Eccles didn't really let us down at all. 
you know, when you look through this whole unit, and Bryce Hall, he didn't play amazing, but he didn't play poorly either. He had a couple nice plays. He was on special teams as well. You didn't see anybody stand out to you and say, like, ooh, he doesn't belong on the field. There was no Isaiah Dunn preseason game. There was no, you know, last year watching guys get torched. No Lamar Jackson or anything where you're just like, this guy maybe shouldn't be on the field. Everybody at least looked like they should be there, maybe because the ball wasn't thrown their way, maybe because they were playing great coverage. We'll find out as the year goes on. But a good week one, good building blocks. Looking at the safety group, LaMarcus Joyner's injured, so all you have is Marcus May, who had a couple nice plays. He had a nice tackle on a, a tight end, I believe, just to stop a drive, but not much more from him. We had the one deep ball to Robbie Anderson that was given up by Sheldrick Redwine, who will probably be playing more at safety now that LaMarcus Joyner is injured. Ashton Davis isn't ready to come back. But he didn't have a great game and did kind of uh, let us down a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Sherrod Neesman, if he gets healthy, move into that role a little bit more, maybe a little bit more of a... Maybe JT Hassel comes back. He's a guy I mentioned earlier. I think it's possible that the Jets would pick him back up because I thought he had a pretty good preseason and was let go. But we'll figure out what they do at safety. It's uh, The whole thing is a work in progress. There are new people all over the place. There's just miscommunications and trying to figure this thing out. And they will get better, but it may be uh, it may be a little while. It may not even happen in 2021. I mean, we may realize that, hey, half these guys are good. Half of them need to go. And then next year we move on with – Half the guys in place needing to add a bunch more. Some through the draft, some through free agency, and that's okay. That's kind of what the point of this whole thing is. That's why you take so many shots on so many guys in the mid and late rounds because if you can get one, two, three of these guys to pan out, that'd be great. You know, you haven't paid any of them. They're not getting paid anything. So we'll see how that all works out. Uh, Our defensive player of the game, again, John Franklin Myers. Congratulations to him. Moving over to the special team side of the ball, we didn't have much in the way of kick returns or punt returns. It was just basically Braxton Berrios catching the ball um, in both. They let the balls go past the end zone on all kickoffs. He did have one return for 15 yards, which is nice, but it was like a deep kick where I think anybody would have had a 15-yard return in that spot. Uh, when you talk about the punting game, Braden Mann had one great punt, a 56-yarder to start the game, and you're like, wow, Braden Mann is back. And then you were hoping to see May Amendola, this big-legged kicker who has no experience in the NFL yet, get some opportunities. The kicker doesn't get to kick any field goals. He also doesn't get to kick any extra points because we go for two on every single touchdown. So then, how does Matt Amendola get involved in the game? Well, Brandon Mann goes down. He's going to be out for four to six weeks or so, and Amendola is the only guy that can actually punt on the team. He probably hasn't done it much, but at least he's a special teamer. At least his specialty is his right leg. This guy comes in here and kicks absolute bombs. He had a 65-yarder that was just hanging in the air, went over... Nobody was expecting the ball to go where it went. It went over the returner's head. He had two inside the 20. My dad gave him the game ball. I'm giving him special teams player of the game because Matt Amendola played one of the best punting games we've seen in a long time, and it was as a kicker for a guy who's never kicked in the NFL or any league, really, ever. So we haven't seen him kick yet, but we know he's a damn good punter. We know that Robert Sala said he's going to be looking at working out some punters. It may not be Matt Amendola's job moving forward, which probably is for the better. Maybe he got lucky one game, but he came in there, and he was absolutely serviceable. And if we do roll with him next week or any other week, you feel at least all right about it because this guy freaking rocked. Way to step in and do a role that's beyond what's asked of you and do it so well. Um, super impressed with Matt Amendola. Would love to see him kick. Would love to see if he's a good kicker. I know he's a good punter. But, you know, that's the special teams. Other than that, a quiet day. I did think that Justin Hardy stood out to me on a few kick returns, or punt returns, rather, in coverage. He got there a couple times. Once he was blocked into the guy that threw a flag at first, they picked it up. But he had another nice tackle on a play, and instantly you're like, oh, who made that play? And you 34. That's your special teams captain. That's your special teams ace. And I think he's going to be one of the best special teams gunners and, and kickoff coverage guys we've seen play for the Jets in a very long time. Super stoked to have Justin Hardy out there. So that is the New York Jets special teams. Now, the last order of business, really, is to talk about the AFC East and the upcoming Patriots game. So, the Jets lose this game to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets are 0-1. They haven't played a game at home yet. Then you got the Buffalo Bills. We talked about them taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. And the Bills fall to the Steelers in a game that they were winning 10-0. They end up losing 23-16. They fall apart. Their offense looked bad. Josh Allen was inaccurate. The team couldn't win. Pittsburgh Steelers get the win. And the Bills are also 0-1, but have played a home game. And then the other two division teams, the Dolphins and Patriots, play a game at Foxborough where it's Mac Jones' first start and Tua's first start of the second season for him. And the Dolphins hang on to win the game 17-16. to 
which is great because definitely rooting for the Dolphins to win that one. But when you look at it now, you've got the Patriots have lost a home game. The Bills have lost a home game. They're both 0-1. The Jets are 0-1, but they haven't lost in the division, and they haven't played at home yet. The Dolphins are the only 1-0 team in the division, the only team with a win. We're one game behind them. And that's the team that you're probably, you know, maybe wrongfully so, but maybe the least scared of at this point in time. No team in the AFC East scored more than 17 points. That was scored by the Dolphins. The Jets scored 14, and the Bills and Patriots scored 16. So not a great offensive showing from the AFC East teams. On the other side, nobody gave up more than 19 points. The Jets gave up 19. The Bills, they gave up 23 technically, but one was a blocked punt that went into the end zone for a touchdown there. So they really gave up like 16. The Patriots gave up 17. The Dolphins gave up 16. So nice defense from the AFC East, bad offense from the AFC East. We'll see who gets together first. But right now, the Dolphins start off in pole position. Not what you'd expect, but they're 1-0. And the Jets have an opportunity next week to beat the Patriots, go to 1-1, and and be either first place in the division or steadily in second place in the division because the Dolphins play the Bills in the other matchup. So big AFC East week in week two. Jets-Patriots in New York. Dolphins-Bills. I mean, this is going to be a very impactful week. I know it's early in the season. You still have 15 games after this weekend. But to start, you know, with a couple division wins or a division win, it's a big deal. And if the Jets can get one here against the Patriots, it would be awesome. Now we have to talk about whether or not the Jets can do that. And this Patriots matchup, to me, is a doozy. I don't think the Patriots are a great team, but I think they're great at what the Jets struggle against. I think that they have a quarterback in Mac Jones that I watched play against the Dolphins. I watched that entire game, and he dinks and dunks and throws to all different receivers. He plays just like a young Tom Brady. You know, he throws to the running backs a ton. He'll throw to the tight ends. He'll throw to a bunch of different wide receivers. They'll do some creative plays. He'll get it to the receivers' hands and let them run with it. And he's pretty accurate, pretty confident back there, and he doesn't hold on to the ball for more than like two or three seconds on most of his passing attempts. He doesn't run much. He doesn't roll out. He stands back there, one, two, boom, dunks to this guy. Dunks to that guy. You don't know where it's going to go, but it's always on target. So it didn't lead to a ton of yardage. It didn't lead to a ton of points for the Patriots, but it looked it looked good when you saw him doing it. You're like, all right, he seems like a guy who's in control here, and they lose by one point, an interception at the end of the game, or a fumble, rather, at the end of the game that ends it, and it could have gone the other way very easily. And the Patriots could be the team that's 1-0 right now. We'd be sitting there again like, wow, here we go. Mac Jones took it over. So the pa- Patriots end up falling on that one. I would guess it's going to be much easier for the Patriots to do stuff against the Jets who don't have a great pass rush. They have young, inexperienced cornerbacks, and they play a soft zone. We saw one guy in Christian McCaffrey do it for an entire game against the Jets. I imagine that they'll be able to do that to their running backs, to their tight ends. They've got Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. They've got a few good young running backs, you know, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and they've got a bunch of receivers. None of them are great, but they all are serviceable, and they all have a little bit of speed to them. And if Mac Jones can get it in their hands, it could be tricky for the Jets in this game. I don't predict us stopping them particularly well. Now, like my dad said, since we probably won't have an opportunity to get a pass rush, one, because we don't have a great pass rush, but two, because he throws the ball so quickly in Mac Jones, you probably want to put more guys into zone coverage and make him stand there and find a guy that's open because they don't have the most talented receivers in the world. It's Nelson Aguilar, it's Kendrick Bourne. I mean, you could easily see a guy like Bryce Hall able to cover one of them pretty well. Their tight ends are pretty good in Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry, but they should be coverable because we've got really, really good slot players. We've got a pretty good coverage safety in Marcus May if he needs to. C.J. Mosley's faster than ever and plays some pretty good coverage as well. So there is a scenario where the Jets could make it a little bit difficult on them if they put a lot of guys back in coverage and don't rush them. There's also a scenario where he just stands back there for like seven, eight seconds and then just picks them apart because who can cover for that long in the NFL? It just doesn't happen. So it could be a very, very long day for the Jets. I don't see us stopping them particularly well. I see them scoring, you know, 27 points against the Jets. So I'm going to put 27 points in my prediction. When it comes to the other side of the ball, the Jets offense, Zach Wilson, this, you know, tough running game with this struggling offensive line and a couple good receivers against that Patriots defense. Well, you don't feel great about that either because Bill Belichick historically has been very, very good against young quarterbacks, especially Jets, young quarterbacks. Um, I mean, we saw Sam Darnold see ghosts against that team. We see that they have a very good defense. They have a lot of good defensive players. They are a defensive team built through Bill Belichick. They constantly have, you know, Matt Patricia and Mike Vrabel and Brian Flores, all these defensive coordinators getting hired for jobs because their defense is so good. When you look at their defense, you see a lot of good veterans. I mean, this is a very talented defense that Bill Belichick has at his disposal. Not the best front they've ever had. It's Dietrich Wise, Lawrence Guy, Godchow, and then Henry Anderson. 
Goose is there. Their linebackers are great, though. It's Matt Judon, big free agent signing in this year. Dante Hightower comes back after not playing last year from the COVID opt-out. Kyle Van Noy is back in New England. He's a good player in that system. Backups, they've got guys like Ronnie Perkins, Chase Vinovich, Josh Uche, Harvey Langy's there, actually had a really good preseason. I mean, they've got guys there, but they're starters, Judon Hightower and Van Noy. Very, very good serviceable players. Some good situational pass rushers as well to help with that defensive line. Then their cornerbacks, you know, Jalen Mills actually had a really good game one. J.C. Jackson, he's not the best coverage guy in the entire league, but he's got some of the best hands of any cornerback in the league, and when the ball is thrown his way, he picks it off. Adrian Phillips, Devin McCourty, you got a nice Devin McCourty veteran presence back there to kind of run that defense. I mean, they're drafting guys like Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, Ronnie Perkins, Chase Vinovich, Christian Barmore is there from Alabama. These are guys that are brought in to be backups. Sean Wade is there as their, like, sixth-string cornerback. And this is them playing without Stephon Gilmore at this point. This defense is stacked across the board. And if some of these younger players pan out, they've got rotation. They've got good players. They've got better backups than we've got starters in some situations. You know, the jury's still out on some of those young guys as well, but I mean, they have a ton of talent over there. And Bill Belichick knows how to use them also. And he's going to make it very difficult on Zach Wilson, who's going to come into this game trying to build off of what he did last week and if we can't stop their offense and they're moving down the field, taking long possessions, you know, seven-minute possessions going down the field, picking up little pieces here, little pieces there, and then scoring, and then we get it and we can't run it and they put us in tricky situations or getting sacked, I just could see this game being really ugly. I think it's because partially I'm just like shell-shocked from all the other times we played the Patriots and how horrible it was for 20 years. I know it's a new team. I know their offense isn't extremely impressive. You know, Trent Brown is injured right now. It's possible if he doesn't play, they'd have to play a guy like Justin Haran. Don't have many other backups other than that, but you know, it's just they make it difficult on you and they make rookie quarterbacks nightmares come true. So I predict for the offense against the defense, I'll say 13 points. So in this game, I got the Jets losing 13 to 27 to the New England Patriots. And this is not a great gauge because this is a team like the Patriots who know exactly what they're trying to do, they know exactly their game plan and exactly how to exploit a player like Zach Wilson. Meanwhile, we're trying to figure out, like, all right, what are we good at? What can we do? I mean, the Patriots at this point probably have as good of an idea of what we are good at as we do. And they will absolutely take advantage of that because we are young, the youngest team in the league, tons of rookies across the board, guys that are raw trying to figure things out. And they've got veterans that know what they're doing and know how to take care of these guys. So, you know, I don't want to be too negative here. And this is definitely a winnable game, don't get me wrong, because it is Mac Jones. We haven't seen him really do all that much yet. And they've got backups in, like, Brian Hoyer. And their running game potentially could be stopped because they don't have a guy like Christian McCaffrey. And their wide receivers drop balls. Nelson Aguilar's probably got worse hands than J.C. Jackson. But it just, it doesn't feel like a win right now. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to be watching the game. I'm going to be fired up. And right before it begins, I'll probably be convincing myself that we will put out a, pull out a W because I want it that badly. And because I think that if the things do break right for the Jets, they can win. I'm just not used to a breaking right. It's been a long time watching the Jets. And you hear that expression, same old Jets, because a lot of times it just doesn't break right for this team. We don't get lucky. We don't get the lucky bounce. We get the unlucky bounce. And you hear the expression, same old Jets. I'm hoping that's not true. I'm hoping this Jets team is about to turn a corner, but I got to see some of that good luck, some of that good favorable bounce come our way. I got to see our players make the play, go back and win the game, you know, beat a team, make them uncomfortable rather than be the team that's made uncomfortable. When I start seeing some of that stuff, especially against a team like the New England Patriots, then I will be buying into that, that we are not the same old Jets. This is a new era, a new team. We got the right group here. But it's going to take a little bit, and this may not be the game for the Jets. We do still play the Patriots later on, and we still got 15 games after this one. Plenty will be easier than this Patriots game. So let's take it with a grain of salt. Still week two. It still should be absolutely raw, as we saw in week one. This team is not a finished product. They're not ready to go out there and just execute their game plan and do what they do best. They're still trying to learn stuff add stuff into the offense, figure out what they're good at, who's supposed to be on the field, and what their jobs are and assignments. So expect a little bit of a struggle again in week two, but more progression and just look towards the future as we see some guys start to step up. It's an evaluation year. Again, feels like it's always an evaluation year, but this year it really is built on that. Youngest team in the league, rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, all sorts of good things pointing up across the board. So, that's what I got for this week. The Jets losing this game 13-27 to to the New England Patriots, but hopefully progressing in the right way and seeing some good stuff from Zach Wilson. Let's stay healthy. Let's get guys healthier. And let's see if we can beat up Mac Jones a little bit, make him uncomfortable, and try to take this division. Until next week, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>